Hello there, and welcome to Pink Milk, your Star Wars podcast for us super fans and those normally forced to listen. However, today is not that day because we are about to have a chat with Alden Diaz from Octo Radio. Get ready. It's time to drink up. Welcome to Pink Milk. I'm your host, Brian. Normally, I am joined by my better half and your better host, Tom. However, we're a few weeks away from that. But until then, we have some super fun stuff planned, including what you're about to listen to now. I am maybe an hour or so away from speaking with my Twitter friend, Alden Diaz from Octu Radio, a Star Wars podcast, which is brilliant. So if you don't listen, make sure you do so after this. Uh, Alden is a super, super great guy he is very intelligent if you've listened to his podcast listened to any of his guest spots read any of his tweets you know that he is a very very thoughtful person and uh, he's very articulate and you can tell he puts a lot of uh thinking behind the words that he chooses to say which i love it's refreshing it's great for the purposes of this maybe a little bit i'm a little intimidated Possibly, because I am a very emotional person, so I speak from my heart right then and there on this podcast. So, uh, But I'm really, really excited because I think Alden is super great, and uh, every time I leave reading a tweet or listening to an episode he's on, I always f- come back feeling like I learned something that I didn't know before, so I'm really excited for this conversation, which uh, has been something floating in my mind a lot. We've been talking a little bit more about it on the podcast, so this is really, really great timing to be talking about Star Wars as religion. And I'm sure I'm going to bring up some things about the Jedi. I know I'm going to bring up some things about the Jedi because I've already got my questions written, so it's going to be there. I'm really, really excited, though. Um, So I hope y'all are stoked to listen to this. When you do, make sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review if you are listening to said podcast on an Apple device. You can visit our website to write us an email saying, hey, this is what I thought of this email, of this episode on servingpinkmilk.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter if you do not already and retweet and do all those things that honestly a lot of people have been doing a lot lately. So I'm very appreciative. The podcast is growing there. Even though I've actually personally stepped away from Twitter a little bit, it's been um, much healthier for my own self-care to be away a little more than normal. But uh, I'm there to talk to our friends and our followers there. So thank you for that. And get ready to listen to this soon-to-be great interview. Get ready. It's time to drink up. Hello there, everyone, and welcome, Alden. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, man. How about you? How's everything going? Things are great. Uh, Thank you. We've been chit-chatting for like half an hour about big, important things already, so I'm all heady and in this. I love it. (laughs) 
I know it's always the uh, like recording starts like let's pretend we didn't just dissect these social issues and, and life and, and and oh yeah yeah not here I can't fake that stuff yeah. I have too much word vomit it just comes oh, out yeah it's, it's been pretty funny I mean again you know you're this is like it's like a digital green room like late night like you know mm-hmm. you're getting old stuff and but yeah it, it's interesting to sort of how everybody turns turns it on in a different way and you know, you, you go on shows sometimes where it's like very, 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 very structured and we act like this is the first time we're talking or whatever it is. Yep. Yep. But yeah, I mean, we, we've been chatting. So like for me to ask, how are you? Like that just proves like how trained we are. <laughs> as like I think no that post COVID, like how are you should just go away or, you know, a lot of stuff's going to change, but, but yeah. You know, I, I'm with you. So first, before we get going, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. Uh, yeah listeners this has been like two months trying to make and i've had to change cancel things so again thank you for all your patience with that too but uh so one of the things we had to cancel for was when my mother-in-law sadly passed away seven weeks ago tomorrow from the day we recorded this um we're still reeling from all of that it's been obviously very very hard for everyone in the house um and I probably should have been more sensitive to the how are you during all of 2020. But let me tell you, after this experience, like this, my mother-in-law is the first person that I've ever lost that was like in my life almost every single day in some way, shape or form. Um, mm. 2020 was hard. I I lost a lot of acquaintances and people that I was friends with a long time ago, you know, I, because of COVID, it was really, really hard. Um, but this is like the first right, like right there for me. And I don't think I'm a super good person at dealing with those things. Maybe none of us are, I don't know, but I'm such a internal person when I, when things hit me, you know, that I don't know how to be external, which is something clearly I need to work on. But how are you is one of those questions. I'm like, this is the most insensitive question you could ever ask someone because of course you're not good. But like, what else? I'm like, I have to find more language. And I already don't have a very big vocabulary to begin with. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm, I'm doing my best to string together whatever, uh, whatever caveman-esque words. I, I exactly. Find. But yeah, I mean, it's like, it, it, but it's almost like a catch-all because you're not going to say like, at what stage of panic and dread are you at? Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, which in a lot of ways is the truth of it all. But that's why we keep. You know, that's what I say, like on my show and on and, and Twitter conversations, whatever it is, that's why we keep doing this. You know, like we have moments where we're saying to ourselves, I know we all do. Why am I still doing this? Like, why am I, why am I on Twitter? Why am I doing this show? Why, why this, why that? Mm-hmm. It's also toxic. But then at the same time, it is, it is an, a necessary outlet when you are trapped, when you feel mm-hmm. that, you know, that chill down your spine of all of the universe sort of, you know, falling apart. So yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is a, a loaded question, but you have to be able to laugh at it in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I am the person who will make a joke and laugh in the most inappropriate times ever, just because that's how I get through everything. You know, I don't always do it out loud and to everybody else, but to myself, that's just what, that's how I, I've, I think the la- I think laughter is the cure all to absolutely anything, um, and if you can find a moment to laugh, 
it just it heals your heart even if it's for that 10 seconds of a giggle at least your heart is a little bit lighter in that moment sometimes and during the most heaviest of times um but i love this is not even one of the things we're going to talk about but i love that you already brought up a podcast uh and during this time for how hard they are you know we started last year four months before everything went down um and we were chit-chatting before we hit record too just about some of our age differences here and there and tom and i were talking we'd go on our walks you know we're like thank god this happened now because i think about if i was in my 20s when this went down there was no the internet was not this it still took you know 30 minutes just to get like i i've said this before but i the internet to me the thing that i remember more than anything one bjork was very popular when (laughs) aol first came and the kinds of pictures that you saw of bjork was like oh okay this is interesting but my first real experience with a computer was during power of the force 2 in the 90s and I think it was like the third, second or third wave of action figures came. And there's going to be a Greedo figure. And I was very stoked because I love me some Greedo. And I wanted to download a rotating picture of this new leaked image of Greedo. And I am not joking when I say it took 12 hours. Wow. <laughs> for this little like rotating thing. And by the time you got it, you were like, that's, uh, yeah, that's him. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Who I knew what he looked like. Uh, yeah, that's that's fantastic. I mean, I hear all these stories of, uh, you know, like when the Phantom Menace teaser trailer dropped uh-huh. and, you know, you had to start the download when you went to work and, and just hope that by the by dinner that you might be able to watch like half of it. <laughs> like it's uh, yeah, I mean, it's I can't even imagine, you know, I, I try to remind myself every day of just how abundantly, absurdly spoiled we all are in a lot of mm-hmm. ways and even and i also try to remind myself that even when i feel old within the space you know like <laughs> yep. when tiktok came out i remember my my gut reaction to tiktok was that'll never be as funny as vine like <laughs> vine was wait vine was vine was the was the move and tiktok is yeah. a rip off now i now i thank my lucky stars for tiktokers every day for helping <laughs> me get through the evening sometimes when i can't sleep and yeah i mean it's it, it's definitely um this year and now this year and uh and and, and a quarter you know yeah. have been ugh, uh, just to say that out loud uh but ha- have been true um true like shots in the arm for perspective so mm-hmm. much perspective and then so much uh learning what you can control what you can't control uh all of those themes that make star wars good that make pop culture good overall so it's yep. been interesting yeah and and you know I am just so I'm really thankful now that we started a podcast like, you know, you we all know how hard it is to get them off the ground. And I had no social media presence beforehand either to even help build off of or anything, you know. And when when March came last year and I just watched whatever few numbers we had crash even more, I was like, oh, God, this is like this is tough. And, you know, not that any of us do it necessarily for downloads and listeners, but you're also doing it so you hope people listen at least to, you know, to some level and, and we just plug through and then the human connection started things like this. And I was like, this was the aspect of the podcast that I never, ever, ever, ever anticipated. And I'm so incredibly grateful um, 
of just meeting people and having a real conversation. Yeah. I, we talk about Star Wars, sure. But at least what inevitably happens with me and on Pink Milk is that we always talk about other things. And Star Wars is is the needle that's pulling the thread through whatever story we're we're telling with exactly. one another. And that's not what I anticipated happening. And I'm I'm really, really happy for that. So so thank you for telling a story with me today. I appreciate it. Of course, man. Of course. So when did Star Wars come to you? We're going to get some of these basic, let's get to know you real quick, just in case some people don't know you that are listening now. When yeah. did you first get into Star Wars? So I have sort of like a a little like crock pot of memories that I just, I have stitched together in the way that sort of makes sense where I'm like, mm-hmm. Well, based on what I know now as a fan, that DVD release had to have been here. That had to have been here. So you're sort of now you have a little bit more of clarity. But what's always stuck out in my mind is the silver widescreen box set of the special editions of the original trilogy had that had Phantom Menace on home video. I was born in 95. I didn't see Menace in theaters because I was I would have turned four in December of that year. But I was three when Menace was actually released. So Clones was my first one in theater. So uh, after, before that theater's experience, but after Menace, before Clones, in there, I'm seeing the original trilogy like in flashes, but I'm definitely honing in on two things. And one is Phantom Menace in images like on my cousin's TV, I think. And then Mm -hmm. I had these two walkie-talkies. And and I've told this story before, and I don't mean to offend any uh, 501st troopers or (laughs) or anyone that loves stormtroopers, but I did not care at all about the stormtrooper one. I had a stormtrooper one, and I had a Vader one, and it was the Vader one that I focused in on. And at some point, I believe it was a cousin, but somebody said to me, you know that little boy in that Star Wars movie? He becomes that. Like, that's that little boy. And I had this moment where I was like, like literally holding this walkie-talkie like Hamlet, like, oh my goodness, like, no, but no, he doesn't, like, not in this movie, like, what, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. he's that's Anakin, and he's a, uh, you know, he races and he does his thing, and he's yippee, and what do you mean that he becomes that from these other movies? And that was the first time where I realized that there was a narrative behind it. There was a narrative still yet to be told because. You know, Lord of the Rings was this thing where it was you had an understanding that it was old books and that there was only going to be three movies. Now there are six movies, but still at the time, Mm -hmm. Uh, Harry Potter was this thing where it was unfolding before the world, you know, at that exact moment, too. Like the books were a little bit ahead, but still uh, unfolding presently. Superhero movies were one offs and we knew that they were being made on comics. But Star Wars was that thing where you're like. Well, there are like, everybody knows about this, and there's a whole other story, and there's still some story that none of us have figured out, and there's still like there's theories, there's this and that. So it just felt so just bigger than life at that moment that I had to dive in, and so I wanted all the reference books, I wanted everything, I wanted all the answers. Um, this was this pre YouTube. I think YouTube was mm-hmm. a few years away, like probably oh five oh six, but I you know, starwars.com every day. And it combined with an interesting aspect of my childhood, at least I think it's interesting, which was that I never, ever as a kid believed that any of this was real. I did understand that it was storytelling because my mom let me watch whatever I wanted. 
literally whatever I wanted. I saw things that no child should see. Um, and, and that included um, making of content. So I would I watched The Wizard of Oz, and then right after The Wizard of Oz, I watched the making of The Wizard of Oz, and I think it maybe it was on the DVD that we had. So I knew as a five, six-year-old who Judy Garland was. I knew about, you know, sort of her life. I knew to tell people, like, she died because of drugs. Like, I, I knew sort of what was happening. And so with Star Wars, it was all those questions, but then also, like, oh, man. And and it's all because of George Lucas. And I was in mm -hmm. kindergarten writing in my notebook, Mark Hamill is my hero. You know, everyone else is writing, my dad's my hero. You know, police yep. officers are my hero, astronauts. I wrote Mark Hamill and gave it to my teacher. And my teacher's like, like from Star Wars? Like my, kind of my, my kindergarten teacher was so confused. Yep. Uh, so yeah, so that's that's the long answer of like the, the cocktail of these experiences where I realized like that the, the, the the mythology of Star Wars, but also the mythology of Lucasfilm and of the actual like impact of everything um, was equally as important and still is. Oh, I love that. I love I love that. I remember. Oh, God, I don't remember. I want to say it was a Bantha tracks, whatever Star Wars Insider was called before Lucasfilm magazine is what it was. I had a subscription yeah. to that when I was a kid, which is so funny because as I've gotten older, I'm less interested in how things are made and mm -hmm. more. I more so with Star Wars. I'm so invested in the story and I like it to be reality, which we'll get to a little later in this conversation yeah. that I don't even like to watch any of the making of stuff for a few years because I want that story so ingrained in my head that I don't want to know the real world part of it, right. um, which is, I wasn't that way before. So anyways, I, I remember probably being six, seven years old and Starlog magazine for like $5, you could send a letter to any Star Wars actor you wanted and I sent my letter to George Lucas <laughs> to like amazing wrote him some story about what I wanted to do and all I, you know, he never wrote back George, but anyways, that, that was who I picked. Cause that was always that he was my hero. He was my hero of what stories could do. And then to get older and hear all these people gripe that he doesn't know how to write and doesn't know how to direct. And I'm like, oh, okay, he doesn't do it the way you like it or mainstream, but yeah, no one does it like him. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and he is, he was a lot of ways, I think, you know, for me, um, and, and you let me know if this is true for you yeah. as well. George Lucas was the, was my introduction to, to punk rock as, as a mentality, you know, as a, like you watch something like an empire of dreams or you watch any interviews with this guy to this day. And the way that he is, the, the, that sense of self I'm so envious of in a lot of ways, because, you know, I, I, and I'm, maybe I'll find it one day, who knows, but just the fact that he is so authentically him through anxiety and panic attacks, through, um, you know, family falling apart, through divorce and through everyone telling him you're an idiot and this will never work. So then it does work. Then you do it again and they tell you you ruined it and like all of these things. And through all of that, for him to still say, they're my movies, I made them for me and I made them for kids. Like he has maintained, like, yeah, we all, you know, dog on him for you know, George, was it going to be nine movies or 12? Like, were they really yeah. going to be siblings or not? Was it really this or that? But the consistent ethos of, of George has always been, you know, screw you. Like, he is still, yeah. even in now his 70s, he's still a 20-year-old, like, hot rods guy. You know, yeah. American, American, truly American graffiti and American original. 
anti-authority. No, I, uh, Everything you just said, I, I agree. If I were a Twitter GIF, it'd be that little person pointing up. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Like, um, first, I just love the people who say, well, the story wasn't this. I often find those people who are generally viewers, not creators themselves, who don't understand the creative process and how, you know, thank God that George has been so open. He could have been this stoic jerk and acts like, does George need to say, oh, that's how I always thought, or that's how I always felt about it? No, you didn't. And that's okay. It's okay. It's but also it was all those jerks that made him start to say those things too, because they won't mm-hmm. let a creative process happen. Right. Um unfortunately. As far as an inspiration, I agree as a queer person, and I'm you know, being gay was not easy. I'm sure it's still not easy for people, but I think about, you know, we had a little bit of this conversation. Earlier, it was very, very scary. I was short. I, back then, weighed, like, next to nothing. I was this little, like, teeny tiny person, right? And in some ways, that made it possibly easier for me to be gay because I know friends who are, like, huge, hulking, like, gigantic muscle people, and they have a hard time, too, because of all the stereotypes of what it means to be gay. But George Lucas was always an inspiration for me to that because I was always out. I never hid. I never did anything. It was very much that punk rock attitude that I think I learned from him. Like, no, this is who I am. And I'm not going to hide because you are yelling at me right now. Like, no, yeah, no. And if it was not for Star Wars and it was not for George Lucas, I don't know if that's the same kind of person that I would have been. Um, so I've always been very thankful for that. To me, you know, a lot of people and rightly so say Star Wars is political and to me, Star Wars is queer and it's always been queer, but you know, then there's the argument that being queer is also political. So it all yeah. comes together, but like, um, that's what it's always been for me. It was always this home for, and I don't necessarily mean queers and only, you know, sexual stuff and sexual, sexual identity queerness, but queerness from society and being, you know, different counterculture to society all in itself. Um, I think Star Wars is, is, speaks to us like that very much in a way that it doesn't speak to other people, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, It's so, so well said. I mean, just the, those ideas, those like those mythic ideas of the other and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, those things that, that have been, that have permeated, you know, pop culture in those ways. Like, uh, you know, we know that George Lucas was like a, was like a sixties Marvel fan and, you know, and Stan Lee and, and all the stuff that happens with, with a Peter Parker, you know, like when you were describing yourself, like, you know, you're this kid, you know, reading Starlog and you said, you know, you're small, you weigh next to nothing. Like that is so so much of what the creators in that time, you know, were speaking to like that kid, like you can save the day too. You can, yep. you know, you can, you can find uh, your, your place on this team. I mean, that's the great X-Men metaphor uh is, is all of that stuff and yep. and how george played into a lot of that is has always been fascinating that and to him it, it is so of course you know like we see that now uh with him on, on, like visiting favreau and filoni you know with the with the volume yep. and they're like look at what we built and he's like oh yeah yeah i thought of that like <laughs> like yeah i knew this was possible well <laughs> you're welcome for giving you the idea to think that you could ever build that you're welcome yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i mean i i i'm a gigantic dave filoni stan as anyone who listens to this knows but i will 
George is my is my everything and yeah. forever will always yeah. be my everything from the stories that he writes to the stories that he tells to his way through life, I think is so inspirational for me. Uh, and I love him. So what is your favorite movie? Is it still the Phantom Menace? It's Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Return of the Jedi forever. I, I think I'm confident in saying that <laughs> um, because it's just the emotional ties uh, Last Jedi sits comfortably right underneath it now as like mm-hmm. a nice little cushion. Uh, it it gets it gets up there. I think that I think that as a piece of filmmaking, critically, uh, Last Jedi. I think if someone asked me like rank them as like what are the best made movies, I'd probably say mm-hmm. Last Jedi. But emotionally, my favorite is Return of the Jedi because Return of the Jedi. You know, we were talking off air about like you know our fathers and and having like that those big questions. That part of the myth, you know, the confrontation and the the I turned him back, you know, like that for me as a kid was because I knew the truth of my story so young because my mom didn't hide anything from me. Yeah. I knew that my dad peaced out before I was born and that he didn't want you compartmentalizes in a child's brain as like, well, that's a villain, you know, and mm-hmm. and Vader, Vader's choice of the dark side um, because I I understood also that what George was saying about choices and how Yoda says, you know, Yoda says, no, it's, it's quicker, it's easier. Um, and Obi-Wan too, like if you choose the quick and easy path and all that stuff, um, the young pupil, all that stuff I applied to my situation and Luke, Luke's ability to connect with him has always been like medicine for me but the medicine has changed over time and has made me appreciate jedi more over time where as a kid i thought oh like i can do that too and one day it'll be okay like one day we'll have our big moment and Mm -hmm. and and we'll have connection again then i was 18 and i did speak to the guy for one phone call and he shot me down and it was uh, it was less than like 40 seconds that and you know that my father and i spoke and he oh don't be sorry i mean i understand what you mean like yeah sorry that happened of course and and you know and i'm sorry that that you've had yours as well and and we all you know we're all like misfit toys you know which is Mm -hmm. another thing that i love about star wars in that way so then i'm 18 and i'm angry and i'm full of rage and all this stuff and i went into probably like my worst probably my worst personal time thus far um and but then i reconnect to jedi and then i'm like oh he might have you know vader might have made it right in that moment but this is still about luke this is still about luke compounding and saying but i'm i'm better like i'm a jedi like my father before me but also story goes on you know but also you know endor isn't the end but also there's still gonna be hard times then you know so that that story has morphed and changed and i've i've looked back on that like yes this confrontation happened yes vader did make the right choice in the end but they were still hacking at each other up until that ending moment and who comes out of it with a sense of their self is luke skywalker you know that it's it's still about us so then you flash forward to now and you see him saying you know come little one like you know come here like and connecting with Din and, you know, Din and Luke as these two guys, you know, saying like, we're going to do what's best for this kid, making it right. 
that type of stuff, you know, that, that to me, like that mm-hmm. scene at the end of the rescue is a sequel to return of the Jedi, uh, you know, as much as, as last Jedi is too. So that, and also like Java's palace and yeah. uh, the stat, and it has my favorite Leia and it has, you know, I love Ewoks. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's all that. I, Oh, first we'll have to have, it's a podcast on itself because I would love to have a conversation with you about Luke at the end of the rescue yeah. because I feel very differently than you do. I'm very mad. Interesting. I, I am so mad at Luke, like not the story, but the story purpose. Boom. Perfect. Great. Love yeah. it. It's setting up to me part of Luke where as the you, fictional man. Yes. You're mad at him. Like yeah. I am mad at Luke and how effing dare you not learn yeah. any of the lessons from the stupid, like the Jedi before me comment, because oh, I yeah. agree with you. Like I'm so mad at him, but I also think, this is great storytelling and he's right. got to get to where he gets to in the last Jedi. Somehow I and always felt like made those mistakes. Yeah. I always, I, I, to me, and I know this is a very controversial thing. I say this, I've said this before. I've been in trouble before and whatever. I will say what I say because George Lucas told me to be a punk rocker. I never liked legends because of Luke Skywalker. I never because liked Luke Skywalker either. from legends was Luke Skywalker from a new hope. After in, in the Empire Strikes Back, he puts on the belt with the gun, right? And goes and faces this, the moment that is so I will talk about this someday. And I, I'm just not <laughs> emotionally prepared to talk about what happens in that tree, tree cave scene, right? Once you head down a dark path, forever it will dominate your destiny. It is the most important line for any young person to ever hear. And if you go too far, you will never back away from it. And Luke Skywalker went too far in Return of the Jedi. And he's sitting there. You brought it up hacking down on his father, right? And he stops because he hears the mechanical hand wrist in his hand, right? And he looks at it. I will turn into this. If I do not stop right now, I will not be able to pull myself away from it. But he already did. He took a step into the dark side. He put his foot. He dabbled it in that pond. He dove in like Ray did, right? He did all these things. And forever, it dominated his destiny. He then forever had to fight that urge because he got a taste of what it would be like to go too far. He got a taste to say, I hate you, Dad. I hate you. I hate you for leaving me. I hate you for everything you've done throughout the galaxy. I hate hate you. And he went there. Yeah, And he could never walk that back. And I hate you on behalf of people that aren't even here. I hate you exactly. on yep. Leia's behalf. I hate you yep. for Ben. I hate you for everybody. And and I love that you brought up Ray because so much of that is projection. Like when he's like, you went straight to the dark. And he says, I've seen this raw strength only once before in Ben Solo. It's like, yeah, yeah, but in Ben in Solo. Mm-hmm. But come on, buddy. Like we all know that you are, you see yourself in this girl which is why it's easy for you to crack jokes like Jack who is pretty much nowhere. Yeah. Where else would be pretty much exactly. nowhere if not the Lars homestead. So it's all of these things. And I would yeah. love to have that, that Luke conversation with you about the rescue, because again, perfect for the story. Um, but I, and I feel the beauty of it for these two guys, knowing that the child is bigger than both of them, especially mm-hmm. Din who has to do the let go moment as a non force user, you know, it's similar to, it's not. It's not dissimilar to to Han on Star Killer Base. 
you yeah. know, these, these guys that don't have mystical power, but are so important to, to the galaxy at large. But what's interesting is that what, what John and, and Dave did was they took the hero of old Luke Skywalker and the hero of now Sokotano, who I know is very important uh, to the pink milk story. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and Ahsoka Tano says, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Not going to do that because I've seen it. Um, but best of luck. And if he wants to, you know, call out somebody, he can, because I'm all about choice, but peace out. I have a story over here is I think yeah. very important because, and, and I said, um, I wrote this Luke thing a while back and, yeah. and in it, I said, Ahsoka Tano refutes the old ways by not taking the trial because that's what the Jedi did. And some people said, oh, well, um, didn't Ahsoka Tano play into the old ways? Because she, um, how do I articulate this? What was their argument? They were saying that, trying to say that, no, she was doing the old ways because she um, was, you know, didn't wasn't going to train Go- Grogu to like master his mm-hmm. emotions or something or something to that effect. And, and I, I just... I totally see it as a, as a refutation because she wanted to, you know, she wanted to let Grogu's pain just be pain, you know, let him go through the motions and not try to suppress it like she knows happened with Anakin. And it's important that her and Luke are at completely different, like completely different pages there because Luke's in his twenties and Ahsoka's in her forties, and you know, and and I don't, we don't know, but I don't think they've had a conversation yet i don't i think we will get it and i don't think that and i do think that mandalorian happens before the rebels epilogue which Mm -hmm. i originally did not think but then it occurred to me now i'm just theorizing but it occurred to me like why else have the gray cloak why else walk off on her own after din and grogu leave if not because luke will tell her one day anakin did come back and then that can be the white cloak comes on and then that'll, you know, that, that, that would be that, that moment, I think. Yeah. We don't. Yeah. Yeah. I know they did not meet because had Luke met Ahsoka, he would not have taken that baby. No, no. Cause, I, he, cause he, he knows, cause he knows Anakin became Vader. He doesn't know why. Yeah. At least not I, yet. I can't go down that road. Cause that will be this podcast. And yes, like yeah. I said, we'll have to have <laughs> cause I, I, I would love to have it because I don't want to not like Luke. I have my Holy Trinity of Star Wars characters that are like are everything to me speaking of right which we will get to religion later but yeah luke ahsoka and now din Djarin are like these these pillars that i have of my go-to guide for my totems for everything that i need answered in life and yeah. i personally and I, this is not popular uh, din's story is not finished and not someone will not be surprised when we find out that din is force sensitive I think it is all being out right there. And I, I don't, I'm not, I know people don't want everyone to be a force sensitive person. I'm cool with that. But uh, to me, the writing is all right here. It's all, that <laughs> is extremely right interesting. There. So um, I, yeah. And I'm just saying, I'm here. I'm looking at it now yeah. just because of, uh, of those things. Like, yeah, it says like, isn't Ahsoka, um, isn't Ahsoka refuting? I'm saying Ahsoka's refuting the old yep. ways, but isn't she saying she can't train him because of his attachments? Isn't that the old way? And it's like, yeah, I can see sort of like that does echo a little bit of Mace and Kiati Mundi saying yep. like, oh, because of attachments. But Ahsoka's not 
not saying that because, you know, Mace Windu and them talk about like Anakin's too old, you know, he has too much fear. They say that because it's, you know, what's serving their purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, he won't be good for our order. Ahsoka's saying it because it won't be good for him. And so that that's what I was trying to articulate earlier yep. um, without, without again, without doing the full thing because we're going to have to grab a couple drinks and sit back and do a do the late night dissertation uh, yep. on this. I, I, yeah, the Din story is definitely not done. Um, that baby is definitely coming back to him. Uh, and uh, what way they choose to do it, if it's going to be as simple as Luke's like, I have to fight an enemy and I can't watch him right now. Like, mm-hmm. here you go. Something will happen. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I cannot wait for that story. Uh, you know, I also, I understand people. I loved that Ahsoka the character and I love the portrayal of that character. I love the writing of that character. I understand what the elements that people are very upset about. I do see where people are coming from. However, I think that character was so 100% Ahsoka. She is not a Jedi, but she is selfless and knows that she, that's who she needs to be right now for the people in the galaxy to have a little bit of spark. If someone's going to help us out of this mess, I, she needed Din. Din needed to think that she was a Jedi because that's where he was. What he was supposed to find. She is not cool. I do not believe that she's cool that he let him go away because I don't think that's what she planned on. Uh, I don't think he listened to the lessons she had to teach. But I also still partake into this idea that that the way she was delivering her lines was because she is a prequel era character. And if anything we learn from the prequels, which is dogged on unfairly so is the way people communicate and the way the story the dialogue is written yeah this is written for anyone to be able to understand and people talk funny and when you watch period movies or older movies even just from the four even from the 40s people Mm -hmm. talk different yeah because lines are read differently and there was a different kind of performance going on for film back then it was not supposed to totally reflect reality it was also an escape and you look at the prequels and that's how they are written so it's another way of of setting up a time difference between the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy the way for my for me the way i look at it so that's how she learned that's how she speaks because she is from that time period so again it is a very clear distinction Din is from this time and she is from a previous time. So and it's also just this idea of like Kurosawa too, like yep. sitting around that campfire, um, you know, that those long silence. And that's why it's my favorite episode of the Mandalorian. You know, it's that episode breathes more than any star Wars has taken a breath. Maybe since, I don't know, probably the beginning of star Wars, you know, mm-hmm. of, of uh, R2 and three people walking around the dune sea. Uh, so, yep. It, it breathes, and it's also about context of character. Like, she's not like the Ashley Eckstein Ahsoka performances we've had up to this point because we know that the Twilight of the Apprentice duel happened. Mm-hmm. Whatever she went through in the two years that she waited for, or two plus years now that we know about mm-hmm. the epilogue, the epilogue not being directly after Rebels, yep. uh, however many years she waited for time to catch up to where she was because. You know, Ahsoka of two of of season two experienced a little bit of the future with mm-hmm. that experience with Ezra. So it's all of that. It's having confronted Vader. It's you know the nineteen years of hiding after the purge. It's all of this trauma has brought her to be this wanderer, and she yep. still has 
you know, Jedi, um, not, not just training, but she still has a little bit of Jedi uh, philosophy in terms of actual heroism, you know, like George and Filoni, like Filoni always talks about George telling him how a Jedi does business. You know, yeah. you put the saber on the table. What does she do when she, you know, is at the city of, of Kaladin? She says, I'll give you one day, you know, to make it right. And then yep. she comes back like this, the Shogun warrior. So she's in a, in a colder place. And I don't think that yep. she's at that place to pick up the staff and put on the white and say to Sabine Wren, like, let's go find Ezra. She's not at that place. Yet. She's in a very transitional place. And at the end, what do we see? She's hunting. Yep. You know, she's hunting Grand Admiral Thrawn. It's about it's about tying up threads for her right yep. now. Well, she's also talking to someone who is a cold person because they don't know how to communicate because of yeah. the product in which they were raised. <laughs> so we saw a character. We don't get a warm and fuzzy Ahsoka because she's not speaking to someone who's warm and fuzzy. Like it doesn't. Yeah. We haven't seen her with Rex. We haven't seen her with with Sabine. We haven't seen her with the people that she cares about. She yeah. is speaking to someone who doesn't understand warm and fuzzy for all we know that's a big chunk of the conversation she and grogu are having like this dude loves me you wouldn't know it all the time but, but <laughs> yeah. like he does and he i anyways i will go on and on because i i season i season two of the mandalorian is just like next level it is a yeah. whole level yeah. of amazingness that i love so before we go down that rabbit hole, who is your favorite character? We've had lots of conversations about character now in this last 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and what's interesting is that he came up for a second, but it's not anyone that we've talked about so far in depth. It's Han. Uh, oh. Han Han's always been my favorite character. And for reasons that were, you know, like as we grow older, for reasons that were simple, uh, he's cool, he's funny, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, mm-hmm. having a concept of Harrison Ford being this important person because Harrison Ford is that first guy that we all see and it's like wait he gets to be multiple cool characters like how does that work you you're, you don't get to be more than one hero but Harrison yeah. Ford was um but f- the way I've explained why I love Han and this also extends to the Alden Ehrenreich Han uh not just for Alden representation um but for just the fact that I think that he is exactly who that man would be 10 years prior to the cantina in A New Hope. Exactly. Because a cynic is a disappointed idealist. Everybody that thought they were going to see a young rapscallion, swashbuckling badass with a bad attitude, that's not Han. He's a goof. So, of course, he would be, I can't wait to escape with my girlfriend and go off and have a great life. Like, of course, that's who he was. And and the magic of Han and why I love him across both versions is that the force works in mysterious ways and Mm -hmm. it has, it has its active champions and it has its passive champions and good only prevails so many times in star Wars because Han chooses to go left when he could have gone right. So many times, obviously the trench run is the big one, but you know, there are, there are moments like, like echo base, like the way that Han sort of takes charge of that situation when they need to escape and everything's coming in, like the fact that he had delayed leaving for so long that, you know, he, he kept saying like, I have to go pay off my debts to Jabba the Hutt and him and Leia having those arguments like, well, why don't you just go? And like all that coupley stuff that's going on with them. And, and then you flash forward to, you know, in the Millennium Falcon, like, you know, I happen to like nice men, like all that stuff, all of their, 
I'm a nice relationship. Man. Yeah, I'm a nice man. He's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> perfect. But yeah, all of that stuff. Um, say the Return of the Jedi. Like people always joke, like you know, the Rebels only win on Endor because Han steps on a twig. Like all of that stuff, and that's what sets off this and this and this and this. And then even to Force Awakens, it even though he dies, you know, I, I give credit to my to my buddy Ken Napsok from Force Center. He calls it the the cheek touch that saved the galaxy mm-hmm. because even though Ben didn't turn good on that day, that cheek touch permeates that trilogy that come home, you know, like people say like, Oh, you know, why, you know, Luke says, see around kid to Ben. And then they don't have a scene together in rise of Skywalker. I understand that. I understand that. Yep. But what he's saying is, see around kid is it's a reference to his father that's why he puts the dice in leia's hand and says i can't save him because he knows like here we are two parts of this trio the part of our trio that's gone already did the work you know we just need to we need to stop him from going down a worse path now than he's already on hence a projection instead of luke actually being there because he swung at him would have killed him and and that's all because han even if he's rolling his eyes while he does it, he does the thing. Yep. He, he showed up for him. And when you look at Solo, it's him saying no to Enfys Nest. Like, he's not at that point yet to join. He goes down his bad path, and he turns away, becomes the infamous Han that we know. But once he finally, in New Hope, says, damn it, like, I can't do this anymore. And he actually shows up at the Battle of Yavin, that he sets in motion something that is so much bigger than him. And then obviously yeah. there's all the nitty gritty uh, theories like is Han force sensitive, all that stuff, which, which yeah. are fun conversations, but. Oh my God. There's so many things you just said so many things that are leading to so many. I feel like I'm in the world yeah. between worlds and I like, I don't even know which door to go through. Uh, first, we're not done with Luke and Ben. Someone's got to teach Ben how to commune with the force and bring him back. Mm-hmm. So, uh, hello. Yeah. <laughs> I think Luke probably knew it was going to happen, and therefore I will see you around. Because by the time you go, Kylo is Kylo's going to die before Ben does, and I will see Ben again. That's what he's saying to me. That's what he. That's what he's saying. Yeah. Who is Kid? You know, he's yes. he's, he's twenty nine at that point. Like, yep. Kid is is my Padawan. Yep. In, in a lot of ways, like people, you know, Ray is. You know, Luke. I will not be the last Jedi. Ray is the first of whatever's next. You know, of yep. a new burn down the tree Jedi, but the last Padawan of the Jedi order that goes back to Avar Chris mm-hmm. all the way to, you know, to the last Jedi is back. He's the last one in a lot of ways. So, yep. Love it. A hundred percent. And all those Alden haters. And speaking of return of the Jedi, that is who Han Solo is. It was not who you thought he was. I know that's who you want him to be from yeah. A New Hope and a big chunk of Empire. But Han and the only... Do you think Chewie's going to stick around with some a-hole like that? No. We yeah. all know Chewie's a big, warm, and fuzzy teddy bear. That's who he is. He's staying around because he knows who Han is. And Han yeah. is that person. And Han didn't say no to Enfys because he wanted to go and be a pirate smuggler. He wanted to run away with his girlfriend and live happily ever after. Yep. And then she left him. And he, and was he hurt. sacrificed everything for that. And that's what pushes him to where he went. But I, I often think about 
I love, I mean, Solo, it always moves, but Solo is up there usually in my top three. Like, I love Solo. I understand that as a film, it isn't perfect because unfortunately it was set up to not be one movie. And I hope we still get more movies because I love that story. I think it is so brave of them to pick Han Solo Luke or uh, 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 Han Solo Luke, Jedi Han Solo, because I think about that and I know there's also, well, he was checked out. No, 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 he wasn't. He wanted to come back. So he wasn't checked out. He was playing who Han Solo always was. He was in hibernation for so long. Lord knows the kind of self-care therapy he was doing in his sleep and in his dreams of figuring it all out. And he comes back out. And one of the first things he does is hug Chewie. I'm all right. I'm all right. And he is never the same again, ever. The minute he pops out of that carbonite, he is not the same because he, he, he said goodbye to who he was when he went down in that, in the carbonite chamber, he said goodbye. Yeah. That's what I mean. I, I know is not just charming, but it's an acknowledgement of growth. It's acknowledgement of what they have. And it's, you know, Han Solo in a new hope, like it's a, it's a badass sequence in the cantina and all that, but Mm -hmm. that's, that's a creation, you know, which is why I controversially, really love the fact that solo was a name bestowed on him because mm-hmm. to me that is sort of a middle finger like at authority like the great outlaws that we know about like jesse james billy the kid all that stuff yep. those names were given to them by lawmen and all these things that they created these identities and so for him to say han solo you think you're gonna make fun of me all right i'll be han solo and he creates this guy that he's yeah. not, you know, telling Kira, like, I'm a terrible person, like all this stuff. Like, mm-hmm. maybe he did have a last name when he was a kid. We'll never know. We know his dad worked on ships. Like, we know a little bit about his life, but yeah, maybe. But it doesn't matter for the story because, you know, it's all about why, not literally. Like, it's not like Star Wars is always about why. So is uh-huh. it like cheesy that like this random Imperial gave him the iconic last name? Yeah, sure. But what does that mean for Han? So then you flash forward to to Jedi, like you're saying, of him being changed. That's when, after two movies, he's General Solo, and he's okay with it. And yep. and he's like, I well, I can lead these men down onto onto the forest moon, which we know has canonical implications. That we know that yep. Poe's father was one of Han's men, and we see how he also lifts up Lando to a life of legitimacy, and how Lando becomes a general and you know, it, it's just uh, it, it's a microcosm for like all of these stories that are about like these regular people. And I love he became a legend. You know, was he a smuggler or was he a rebellion leader or whatever it was? But of course, power. Of course, it makes sense that an imperial officer is going to say, no, you're no one. You're solo. Yeah. You have no one. You are just going to be a clog in the wheel and you're going to die for the Empire and you're just going to be a stormtrooper or whatever it was. You know what I mean? But like, how do you think these people manipulated everyone? They had power and they made everyone else feel small. And that's what they did. You are nothing. And then when he's broken, what does he do? Like him and Leia say, we went back to what we were good at. And so when Ray says, you are Han Solo, he says, I used to be. That's one of my favorite lines in Force Awakens because that's him saying – yeah, I created that identity. I lost it. Now I don't know what I am. I'm a shell. I'm a shell of this version. I'm a shell of this version. I'm a shell of this version. Until it's Luke's a Jedi. You're his father. 
Yeah, you know, okay. and, and that was a great Carrie impression, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is it that brings you back to Star Wars? What keeps you here? What brings you back? Uh, it's the it's like I always say, like on my show, like it should just be a drinking game at this point. The mm-hmm. word tapestry. Yep. I am obsessed with how much everything informs everything. I'm obsessed with how it's a living document of a story. And sort of how, you know, Mandalorian season two comes out and like how I said, like that changes Jedi for me. Um, You know, this Ahsoka show will come out and that'll change Clone Wars and Rebels and how everything before and everything after is never set in stone. So like I completely understand that there is immense uh, pain and vitriol and disappointment around both episodes eight and nine for very different reasons. Mm -hmm. But neither eight nor nine is going to stay the same you know if if in 10 years from now daisy ridley and john boyega and oscar come back and they do 10 then suddenly eight and nine will have different context in the same way that now we watch jedi and we know that palpatine survives and then it's like oh man like you watch the celebration on endor and it's our real political climate of thinking we beat hate and all this stuff that all changes so you know, I tell people sometimes like, like, again, like, like a big touchy topic that we don't have to dive into because yeah. we don't have 80 hours um, <laughs> is, is, you know, the Ben Solo saga and just, you know, the Ben Solo disappointment with him having died, which I completely understand. But at the same time, like you pointed out, be it with Luke, be it with his mother, be it with his grandfather, what awaits him in the nether world? You know, that we know that death is not the end in Star Wars in the same way that, you know, Filoni loves his Gandalf and all that, which informs Ahsoka. Like, what informs, you know, what will inform the next era of of a Ben story? You know, does he commune with Rey? Does he give her the advice to start a new school? Is is Ben helping Rey train Finn? What are What is Finn's journey? You know, is Poe going to, is Poe going to be, like, I would love it if Patty Jenkins' Rogue Squadron is poe with a gang of students and yeah. poe's like all right i'll teach you really how to be a pilot and you go full top gun and it's oscar isaac with a beard or something like that like <laughs> it could be awesome like there's so much we don't know and even like you know star wars resistance was a show that i loved that i think is criminally underrated mm-hmm. and how that adds layers to force awakens so it's just the fact that it just never stops and they can say all they want you know like when rise of skywalker was coming out like the epic conclusion of the Skywalker saga. It's like, yeah, until you do Kenobi, like you're doing Kenobi and you're putting Vader in it. That makes it Skywalker saga. So it's, it's it's just going to constantly keep evolving. Like I never would have, if I had gone back to Oh five and told myself in the fifth grade, Hayden will be back in 2022. (laughs) What? Like, what are you talking about? Not only would he be back, people wanted him back. That was even like people want him back. That yes. like, yeah, of course. He gets a yeah. thunderous applause everywhere he goes. Him and Ahmed, like yeah. people are people are begging for a Natalie Portman cameo of any kind. Um, all of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I talk about it with my friend uh, Nikki Kumar, mm-hmm. and Nikki always says it is societal progress that people can say Sith is their favorite without getting a weird look. <laughs> Oh my god, totally. To- well, I, I, it's so funny because like I've always been around, obviously, right? Like, and I remember how many people just 
really disliked the phantom menace like really 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 disliked it i was there at the theater i remember i'm not gonna i've been very open i remember a pit in my stomach at the opening of that movie i still don't love the opening of that movie i personally find it kind of boring and star wars is anything but boring right but then the movie takes off and it's great and i was like i don't understand how anyone doesn't like this movie this is like so like great it's so great. They land on 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 um, Naboo, and it's a great flick ever since then. For me, for me. But regardless, I love how Star Wars always changes, and I do. I think it's these. It's the undertones of everything. Like you said, it's a tapestry. I am fascinated, and the older I get, the more I talk on this podcast um, about the Jedi, like. I love them more than I think I ever did. Mm-hmm. And I really dislike them. The older yeah. I get, I really, really, really dislike them. Uh, I believe very much in what they stood for, but they are human beings after all and greed and power got to them just like everybody else did. And that to me is why I think the prequels were disliked as much as they were at the beginning, because it, why anyone would be surprised they we all knew who george lucas was and it took a left when it could have taken a right that's what it did and challenged us and i love nothing more than a challenging star wars and same i think you know for me personally i have a uh i want to love the 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 rise of skywalker i want to love it so much because i've never not liked star wars before and like you said i'm not going to hold on to this this horrible movie because it could be recontextualized later yeah right now it's not my favorite it has some yeah. really, really beautiful moments. It has some of my favorite moments in the entire saga, but collectively it is not my favorite movie. But it didn't challenge me on an emotional level. It didn't really give me any gut punches. It was all there. And maybe in that rumored four-hour cut or whatever the long movie was, maybe those challenges were there, but they weren't yeah. for me. And I don't, you know, if you love, if you love it. I love I love when people tweet me the things they love about it because I'm not this. I don't I want to know. Convince me, like show me the things that I'm not seeing so I can fall in love with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. With that said, that was one of the things that I love about about the prequels and Attack of the Clones. We talked briefly a few times of ranking things. It's probably my number two favorite movie. It sits comfortably at number two for a very, very long time. I really like clones. It's really good. (laughs) It is I love that movie. It is the movie. I mean, Return of the Jedi is my very favorite, like you, for lots of reasons. It's criminally underrated. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot that's just left on the surface, and people don't give it the the subtext that it deserves. Same Same with Attack of the Clones. But Attack of the Clones really challenged us, again, on who the Jedi were. Yeah. It The Phantom Menace gives us these cold Jedi that we don't like. And then Attack of the Clones gives us what we all wanted, this gigantic arena full of lightsabers, people fighting. But they're not fighting for the right reasons, and I find it fascinating. I mean, we just decapitated some kid's father right in front of him. Like, we were there for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. And it challenged us, and that's what I love about Attack of the Clones so much. So very much. I am still all here for CGI clones, because my God, <laughs> what a way to say these are not people. And that is yeah. how the Jedi, and that is how the government treated them. 
I believe everything George Lucas does is intentional. And he could have cast people and he could have just copied and pasted them all over the place, but he didn't. He was making them less than human because that's how all the characters in the movie viewed them. That's a great point. They were everybody's tool and they used them and they were human beings, but no one in the film saw them that way. Yeah. Not until we meet Ahsoka Tano later. It's but. true. It's true. I mean, and, and just with the, uh, with the, the analyzing of it's a, it's a loaded conversation, but like where exactly was the rot in the Jedi order mm-hmm. too deep? You know, you go back to yep. who is often considered, you know, pre Ahsoka. It is, I think probably universally agreed upon that the most ahead of the curve was Qui-Gon Jinn. Yes. And that, and that if, if Qui-Gon Jinn had lived to the clone wars, it would have been a very different war if it had even happened at all. And it would have been a, a very, very, very different Anakin Skywalker, mm-hmm. likely one who would not have fallen. That said, uh, Qui-Gon Jinn, even, you know, even him, he exhibits a little bit of that too, you know, telling them on Tatooine, like, I didn't come here to free slaves. It's yep. like the the fact that you can be so matter of fact about something so horrid shows that, you know, in the 200 years between High Republic and now, it has been a steady fall from grace and obviously yep. perfect for, for someone like Sheev. But it is, um, yeah, I love everything you're saying sort of about just their approach to everything and how you needed to see this this broken order and how the Jedi at their best when they are without dogma uh, is is very different than being a Jedi, you know, with an order. Like the phrase Jedi order is a contradictory phrase. It's like jumbo uh-huh. shrimp. Like it should not be, it should not actually be a thing. Whereas, you know, Luke on Octo when he's saying, you know, my favorite line in the sequel trilogy, which is to say that if the Jedi die, the light dies is vanity. Can you feel that? Nope. That that moment is, you know, that's a Luke where he could have vibed with Ahsoka Tano, he could have vibed with Qui-Gon, like with the Bendu, with Kanan Jarrus. Like that that's where we see sort of a a truly enlightened uh force being. You know, you're yeah. not the word force doesn't work for you. It's not a power that you have, like he tells Ray. Yeah. Everybody on Geonosis and in the Clone Wars, even you know, even your friend Ab Wan Kenobi, <laughs> like like they're all they're all falling victim to that. Uh, yep, and and that's what I that's what I love the prequels so much for. So I've heard, I'm sure you've mentioned this a few times. I'm specifically thinking about a conversation you had with our friends at Triad of the Force, yes, where you called Star Wars your religion. Yeah, and that is something that I've spoken about a lot here because I I have a. a an interesting relationship with religion personally. I, uh, I am not a religious person. I have a hard time as a queer person and religion altogether, unfairly. So I recognize that. And it's something I work through every day. And it wasn't until I met my husband who is Irish Catholic through and through and very religious and very Catholic and obviously gay (laughs) and, (laughs) and has his relationship with it. Right. That he's like, you know, because there was a time early on where he was nervous if we were going to work because I am not religious and I don't believe in a Christian God like he does. Right. And I understand that. Like I can respect that. I think, you know, most could, but he's like, you know, and the only reason I'm here and 
he was there when I was getting my last tattoo and I'm not sure I'm ever allowed to get one again now that we are married and all those things, right? Like it's uh, it's so counter to who he is, but you know, I told him I was getting it and this was a few weeks in and I told him what it all meant to me and, and we would chit chat and he's like, and everything I talk about is always through a Star Wars lens. Literally it's how I describe everything. And he's like, I know you like to think that you're not religious, but you are. Star Wars is your religion. And I'm like, oh, God. And back then, I'm like, I can't do that. That is just like those nerds, like, in the comic book store. And I don't want to offend any of you. <laughs> but like, yeah. I'm like, like, that was just so, it it was so weird to hear that at that point in time. And years would go on. I'm like, oh, my God, I think you might actually be right. To where now I feel comfortable saying that, that I'm like, Star Wars is kind of my Bible. I just happen to know who the writers are. And yes. And that is kind of how I look at it these days. So I'm very curious. Here we are one hour into our <laughs> into our podcast. So let's talk about what we came here to talk about. Look, it wouldn't be a, a podcast with me, people that, that you know, maybe they're checking this out because they know what I do or they've seen me yeah. like, on Triad, different things. Like, like but a little behind the scenes, like Triad of the Force. I wound, I'm, I've been on that show twice mm-hmm. because we went over uh, and, and yeah. on, the, on the first episode. <laughs> so it's just how it is. But <laughs> very very similar um epiphany i think i had mm-hmm. uh similar t- to your husband being like uh do you realize sort of like how seriously you take this do you realize that you, all your guiding principles come from mm-hmm. this like it was it, it's those conversations like i have a, a great friend of mine um named deanna who truly has life figured out because she's not on social media at all so <laughs> i i'm just so 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 jealous of her uh it's very very devout catholic and and i am very very not i was mm-hmm. baptized catholic uh but then i never did communion never did confirmation and i remember telling my mom as a kid again my mom who gave me so much leeway to make choices and be a little smart ass like my mom and i used to like sit in bed and watch fraser every night like yeah. if it's, it's like like that, that informed like sort of how I functioned and yeah she asked me do you want to do your um your communion and your confirmation and I said what do I have to do and she said this this that and then one of the things she said is and then you you confess um to a priest and I said I don't want to tell someone what I've done wrong and and that was she was like okay like and that that was the mm-hmm. end of that and since then I've had ups and downs and like little crises of faith and stuff but I largely don't subscribe to the belief that there's um, a Christian God or anything like that. I, I always want to leave a little bit of room to be wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, that, that comfort zone of like, I'm, I, I always say like, not quite an atheist, super hard agnostic is sort yeah. of like where I come down on. Not because I, I believe, but because I, I like to think that I am self-aware enough to know that any of us could be wrong. You know, mm-hmm. like I fully, I'm fully prepared for the possibility that I'll die and somebody will pop up and I'll be like, man, I suck. Like I was, I was wrong about all of this. Like, can you, can you give me some, can you give me a last minute pass and I take it back. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, like it's this interesting, this interesting uh, dichotomy between what those faith principles pop up. And the reason why I bring Deanna up is because she has had similar conversations where because she's really devout, I've told her like, I wish I had some faith. And then, you know, like I, I totally, I would love that. And, but I don't, you know, I've seen too much. I, I know too much. I, I question too much. Like, why does this happen? 
You know, I remember Stephen Fry gave an interview once where he was saying, he was explaining it similarly, where he said, there are insects in this world that burrow into the eyes of children. You know, would 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 have just God sort of make that kind of thing? So all of that resentment and anger and 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 toward the idea of a deity, but then furthermore toward the church for a thousand reasons that all of the listeners of Pink Milk, I'm sure, know about and can look mm-hmm. into, and from <laughs> yeah. wars to crimes to all this stuff that the church has been behind. All of that frustration pushed me away from it and made me make these decisions. But Star Wars had all those guiding principles, had hope, faith, the belief in something bigger, the unifying principles, the sense of self, the the tenets, the differing beliefs, you know, where a Chirrutimwe and an Ahsoka and a Luke and a Bendu and a Palpatine and all these people all view the Force differently, good, bad, and different. Uh, but it also had fallibility and it also had self-awareness of its own fallibility which george put in there on purpose and i love it so much because my problem has always been that every faith believes wholeheartedly and it's in, in the inherent conceit that it is right and and that they believe like like you say Oh, why do you believe that? Well, it's written in the book. Well, who wrote the book? Oh, well, this guy. Oh, well, how do you know that he's right? Well, because it's in the book. Mm-hmm. Whereas Star Wars literally has its most grand master. So by the time of Revenge of the Sith, Yoda had been in the pop culture zeitgeist for 25 years. Yep. 1980 to 2005, Yoda was synonymous with master. Oh, that's your Yoda. You know, he has a cameo in E.T., like Yoda, 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 Yoda. And, and being then, right. And being right. And then in 2005, what does Yoda say? A prophecy that may have been misread. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, it's like, wait, what? Like, he's talking. It's a moment that I've become obsessed with. He's mm-hmm. talking to Mace Windu and Obi-Wan Kenobi, basically his right and left hand. Mm-hmm. Basically his two greatest sons, Mace and Obi-Wan, two of the greatest Jedi. And he's telling them, yeah, uh, I know the war. We're in our final days now of the war, but I just uh, starting to think we might have been wrong about a lot. And Star Wars has constantly had that, where it's had moments like that. You flash forward to you know the most recent film with Rise of Skywalker, Luke telling her it was fear that kept me on this island, not because I had anything figured out. It was the opposite of having things figured out. Mm-hmm. You see that in Jedi Fallen Order. You see that with you know with Ahsoka. Uh, in Rebels, you know, how she helps Kanan sort of through his grief and how they have that connection. So it's the fact that Star Wars was willing to give as much as it's given ideologically, but also in terms of so many lessons and mm-hmm. and, and had ways to, to, to conduct yourself. Like if I yep. get like I have I have massive amounts of anger in me. I have massive amounts of anger. And it's something that I deal with every day, crippling anxiety and anger. I take pills for my anxiety and my yeah. and my my depression, and I take them every night. And some days I wake up and my heart is beating from the second that I wake up. But Star Wars helps you navigate that, but never talks down to you and says that it knows better. Yep. And so it's sort of like this catch-all where it just it just hits every box that way. Yeah, I I love that. Like I and you said it earlier about Star Wars being made for kids. And I always challenge that. And I know that's what the words were. 
But I always have felt that it's not so literal and George is anything but literal in everything that he does. Every yeah. George only speaks a metaphor, uh, yeah. both visual and the written word of metaphor. And I like to think that it's accessible to children and it is written to the child in all of us that can still sometimes to a fault and a gift both at the same time of seeing things in their simplest form and not being able to look past that. Right. Um, and right. it's a gift that humans have, you know, um, cause I, I'm, it's, it's the thing about star Wars too, for me that I've just loved so much that it's, it's, it's nothing and everything all at the same time. And one of the things that I loved about it is, it's nothing and everything all at the same time. And as I've gotten older, I fundamentally believe that we all believe in the same thing. We all just have different life experiences to tell those stories. And I love that you said that you wished you had, you wished you believed in, in, in a church. Cause I felt that way. I just happened to come across a box the other day from a poem that I wrote at 16 talking about, I wish I had a door to walk into because it's very lonely. It's very lonely to not have anyone it's lonely right. to say the stars is my religion because of the fear that people are going to tease you for whatever reasons and i also understand being teased about it because on this on a surface level it can sound very shallow <laughs> like i get it i understand for a lot of people but for me it's so much more than that you know and clearly right. it's so much more than that for you um and that's some of the things that the prequels, I think, brought in right down to midichlorians. And I'm curious what your thoughts on midichlorians are, because it sounds to me like you like this idea that it's this energy that unites us and brings us all together, you know, mm -hmm. and... and Binds us and penetrates us. There we go. Thank you. And midichlorians, maybe they take away from that. Uh, and I'm curious what your thoughts are because people that love the force, it's always, uh, it's, it is midichlorians have become a sticking point. Oh yeah. And so I'm curious what your thoughts on them are. Okay. So here's what's interesting about midichlorians. I, I was, again, I was born pre prequels, um, mm -hmm. but I have never been conscious in a world without them. So it's always been this thing where like I found out from my, my elders that they were a hated concept and and I went through my phase as a teenager. I was like, just trying to make a fantasy into sci-fi, man. Like it's you know mm. it's fantasy. Like he doesn't understand his own lore, man. Uh, yeah, I went through that annoying ass phase. And <laughs> if if that's you listening, sorry. Uh, but it's, <laughs> no, it's get out of it. Yeah, I, yeah I totally. Yeah, I, it's just trying to science Star Wars is always a mistake from a fan point of view. Mm -hmm. I think that. You know, I, I shared this this Grant Morrison quote, and a lot of people have have retweeted it because I think it, it just touched a, a chord right now, especially like in a Wanda Vision world of, yep. you know, will Wanda pay for her crimes and all this stuff? It's like it's not that kind of story, you know. Like it's it, it's fantasy, it's it's heightened, it's operatic, it's all of these things. You can't hold it to account. Like the Holdo maneuver, why didn't they just put droids and ships and have them all do Holdo maneuvers? And it's like. I don't know because there'd be no story like because you, you need to give it that breathing room. So I believe all that and I see why metachlorians go against it. But I also think uh, 
frankly, they don't bother me at all. Uh, they don't mm-hmm. bother me at all because I, how are they described? They're organisms too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like metachlorians are points. It's not like metachlorians are Mario mushrooms. That I mean, mm-hmm. I guess it's a bad example because mushrooms are a living thing. But you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not like they're they're a, a steroid or something. Yep. That they are organisms too. So Obi Wan says in that in Phantom Menace, like to Boss Nass, like you and the Naboo form a symbiote circle. Like you must understand this. That's teeing up that conversation about metachlorians yep. later. The metachlorians, if if they are anything, are a catalyst similar to the wills, similar to, you know, the Dagobah cave, the Octo cave, the world between worlds. Like, they might just be the single-celled version of any of those places, of any of those feelings, of any mm-hmm. of those things. You know, Obi-Wan didn't say it only applies to bipeds and people that speak and all this stuff. He said living things, life. And that includes cells. And if you believe Yoda, what Yoda says literally on Dagobah, it also applies to rocks, you know, which are not living things, you know, yep. the, the tree, the rock. So matter. So metaphysically, they make perfect sense to me. But it's also, you know, it, it, it is it's an indicator is different than causality, you know, and that's in life and that's in Star Wars, too. But it's also just about the fact that it's it's still about belief, like, you know, mm-hmm. we still see people always say like, oh, did making Ray a nobody and then being like, oh, but wait, there's really this. Did that undermine the idea that nobodies could be Jedi? And I always push back on that and say, no, I understand full on. You know, I'm saying this as, as yep. a cishet male, um, a white passing male and and all of these things. And I know that there are women uh, fans and, and fans of all walks of life that are that saw themselves in Ray Nobody, but for just in within the mythology, there's no great Mundi legacy, no great Fisto legacy, no great, uh, you know, Kestis legacy, all of these yep. things. All these people did this through belief independently of those organisms. So it, it, I, I, I kind of have to think that the organisms are just a part of this circle. You know, it goes into my whole thing about Luke and Ray. People always criticize Ray, I think very unfairly, in saying that she's a repeat of Luke, but they are the inverse of each other. Yep. So my whole thing on that is that Luke believes in himself, right? But does not believe in the power of the force at first. Luke accepts very quickly uh, with that one push of the personal tragedy of losing his aunt and uncle that he's the main character. He, he, know, he knows his role. You know, mm-hmm. I want to be a Jedi, like, you know, like my father, you know, I want to go with you to Alderaan and mm-hmm. they find Han Solo and they're off, saves the princess, does all this stuff. He becomes commander in the, in the rebellion. He becomes red five. He becomes all these things. He believes in himself. He needs to open himself up to the force. Ray is the other way around. Mm-hmm. He's a Gryffindor. Ray's a Hufflepuff. Ray believes in the force. She's always believed in it. She's heard the stories. That's how she she knows what a mind trick is. She knows who Luke Skywalker is as a legend. You see it on her face. Like, Luke Skywalker, I thought he was a myth. Like, she believes in the power of the Force. She doesn't believe in herself. Mm-hmm. They come at it from inverse points of views. The, the power of the Force is no issue to Rey. You know, she's excited to meditate. You know, that's why she has that goofy moment of, like, reach out. Like, exactly. she's excited for that. She just doesn't think she's the lead. She's ready to give the blade to any of these people to say... Yeah, I played my part. I'm a supporting player. I did it. I found Luke Skywalker. 
she has to accept that she's the hero. And so with those differing perspectives from our two major heroes, and then obviously Anakin being above representing so much duality, uh, with all of that context about belief, how am I supposed to believe that like these claims that George scienced his franchise, that to me is not looking deep enough into what a metachlorian yep. is. So it's just like, you know, justice for the metachlorians. That's why when George was like, yep. yeah, my sequel trilogy would have been uh, about the micro oh, world God. of the force. I was like, what? Like, Please still give like, me that at some point. Somewhere. Yeah. Like let someone do it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I, the Ray stuff, I'm like, okay. So Luke didn't know any of these things because he grew up in a time when the Empire was there and it squashed all ideas of who the Jedi were yeah. because of fear of, of losing their power. And Ray grew up in a time when said person, Luke, and a lot of others helped take down the Empire. So all that knowledge that they had gatekeeped for themselves was now free. We learned that with the simple line of, I thought he was only a myth, to the children at the end of the, of the Last Jedi telling their stories of Luke Skywalker, the great hero, right? So of course she knows what a, a mind trick is. Of course she knows what a lightsaber is. So did she know how to... She didn't need training because she had read the myth. She had heard the story. She knew how in an idea of what... She was us. We all know what the Jedi are. Only... Yeah. She was not a. She didn't have the same knowledge of seeing, which we'll get to here in a second, of who the of of what I believe the Jedi became. To her, they were still the heroes. Mm -hmm. So she yeah. heard their stories and did all these amazing things because I have an idea. This is how it works. But because she was one with the Force and believed in the Force already, those yeah. things just came to her. Luke didn't have that ability to know what came before. Because the Empire squashed it and Absolutely. hid all of that from them. So I, I am always like, I, I feel so many, so much judgment of Star Wars doesn't actually watch what what they say they love. The thing that they said was ruined. You didn't listen to what came before to actually like, you didn't I, listen. You didn't let it in. Yeah, <laughs> let it in. I completely agree. I mean what is last jedi you know in the same way i said like you know the rescue is kind of a jedi sequel the last jedi is a dagobah sequel like it is oh. it is just a follow-up on all those things like him saying like young skywalker you know still looking at the horizon instead of what was in front of your nose mm -hmm. and he bonks him on the head like yep it's it's just making those same mistakes and mm -hmm. when people say like oh why wasn't he actually on crate you know the force projection it was just a trick and it's first of all did you miss him levitating 3PO in the air to appear like a god? He's not above tricks. Uh, and also, it's <laughs> it's yeah, like what, what? Like Luke Skywalker has a trick. He's Anakin Skywalker's son. These are, he has an arrogance and a, and a and a wink and a nod. And you know, like mm -hmm. he literally winks in Last Jedi to 3PO when he's about to do this big trick, uh, which is is it was a Mark Hamill touch, which I loved. Um, <laughs> So, you know, that nonviolent solution carries throughout the themes of the entire saga. And, you know, when Maul is seething in the Duel of the Fates, Qui-Gon is kneeling and he's centering himself. That leads, you know, later on to so much of what we see in Rebels of Yoda telling him it's how we choose to fight. That leads to Crate with yeah. the Force Projection. That leads to the fact that people forget, you know, because there was a lot going on in that movie, but rise of Skywalker Ray never takes a swing in the third act of that film. She only yep. blocks. She blocks every guard that Palpatine has. 
She only blocks lightning. She never attacks. The 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 saga's main villain is defeated nonviolently. And she's able to mm-hmm. yeah, and people say, Oh, Mace Windu did that too. Yeah, but Mace Windu is ready to kill him. Mm-hmm. And and that's the difference. It's about the place of which you're coming from. Well, Luke was also trying to teach both Ben and Ray something because I also think I don't think Luke's was I personally don't believe was solely this act of passive uh, of, of being a pacifist. I really don't. I've I fundamentally believe that he was haunted by the dark side. We know it from some of the art books of like dark side spirits haunting him, right? Like yeah. so there was I there was conversations being had of who he was. If he was if he went and came and, and got face to face with Ben Solo, the person who murdered Han Solo, who who broke Leia. Like yeah. Leia was broken, who went and repeated the mistakes of the grandfather and idolized not his grandfather, idolized the thing that his grandfather became. I'm not sure Luke could have gone there without raging out on him. And I think he knew yeah. that. And and if he had done that and killed Kylo Ren, well, he's just going to go back to the idea that George Lucas had at the end of, of Return of the Jedi and put on a helmet and say, I am now Darth Vader. So he couldn't go there because he knew he would fail. That's true. And also did. it's that idea of of those those hypotheticals of like in life, like you don't know what you'll mm-hmm. do till you're in it. Like Luke, the projection lets Kylo swing at him and lets the blade go through so he can have that big reveal and in a way absolve him of violence like you didn't actually kill me mm-hmm. and they all just escaped and it's great if it had all played the same dodging him let you know doing the matrix all that mm-hmm. stuff that he does and that's that red blade was coming at him would he have blocked did he have it in him to pull the yep. obi-wan and really let it happen those are the things and and I and yep. I love your read that it might be just for just as much for him as it is for for the kids in, in that yep. situation, and 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 also when he tells Ray like you will take both lightsabers to Exegol, like mm-hmm. is that him saying like you know you're you're gonna need to block you know you're gonna need both like mm-hmm. literally is it him feeling in his heart that Ben Solo will be there? Oh, hundred uh, percent. You know, I like it. Yeah, I think so too. And 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 I love the symbolism of it's going to take both twins, you know, both Skywalkers, you know, in, in a way and 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 the both of you. So, yeah, definitely. Definitely uh, interesting stuff. Another twin, another twin in a different way. Yep. Yeah. I could love it. So, what are your what are your thoughts on the Jedi themselves? Are they heroes? Did they fall? And I'm not ta- – let, let, let me be more specific. The Jedi in the prequel era, mm-hmm. the Jedi during the Clone Wars, did they become villains? Did they – were they still heroes? Did they lose their way? Were they right? Uh, like, did they lose their way? Yes. Were they right? Situationally. Were they heroes? Depending on the day. These are all like very <laughs> qualifying no. answers, which is intentional and no. what I love, and it puts you in that place – you know, it, Star Wars, like any great pop culture work, like we mentioned, I mentioned Marvel earlier, mm-hmm. mentioned Batman, uh, when we were talking off air and, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer being that high school metaphor and all that stuff. Star Wars is a metaphor for so many aspects of life. So the Jedi, you know, your parents are perfect when you're a kid, you know, and then they don't, they don't make, they don't make mistakes until you see them for what they really are. So it's like, yes, the Jedi 
save the day. I mean, that's the brilliance of the Trace and Rafa arc in Clone Wars Season 7. Like, yeah, the Jedi did save the day that day. And they did exactly what they needed to do in terms of the Zero the Hut situation and everything that we knew was going on. But then Luminara tells a grieving child that, you know, sorry, you know, the Force will take care of it. Like, what? Like, so it, there's a, there was a, there's a heroism functionally. Like, the galaxy does need them, but there is a, a lack of empathy that is preventing them from actually being heroes uh, spiritually and personally mm-hmm. that, you know, so you serve a function in, in a way that, you know, no one can deny the good that you do. And it's not like you're committing acts of evil. And, yeah. and George is George. I don't think would ever subscribe to the, well, both sides are bad. And that's why I'm not going to vote. Like he would never do that. And, and I don't think he's saying that they're as bad as Steve Palpatine, but he is saying that, their inability to change and their inability to acknowledge their own fallibility. Like, like I spoke about that Yoda moment. Mm-hmm. It's not a coincidence that that moment comes right at the end of the war. It's a, it's a realization way too late. You know, the prophecy yep. may have been misread like, Oh, were we treating Anakin as a person or were we treating him as a self, you know, as a, as a, as a, a tool, a self-serving, yep. uh, he'll fix all our problems. You know, we'll just, make him the poster boy he'll fix it he'll fix it he'll fix it he'll fix it until we realize we emotionally stunted him so are they heroes i think in the grand scheme like yes i mean whole worlds get to live because of what they did in the clone wars even if they were in it for the wrong reasons Mm -hmm. whole societies um have been saved by them i mean we see now in light of the jedi like you know at the end of that previous era um in their renaissance so it's like have they are have they always been heroes throughout star wars like yeah but in the prequel era were they misguided absolutely i mean they're like i said it was rot it was mold it was it was something that that was a long time coming and then that's what happens to to civilizations i mean i think we're seeing it right now in a lot of ways with the american experiment and and with a lot of stuff that if you don't look yourself in the eye that's what happens. I mean, it's like, it's like you're saying with, with Luke being haunted and, and it forever will dominate your destiny. Like what is the Jedi order? If not actually Anakin, you know, Mm -hmm. like Anakin is the microcosm of them. He's all of these great things, but he never stopped to get help. Yep. You know, I, I, it's just a question that now that I'm a father, I don't think I would have this question if I wasn't a dad. Um, and my youngest, who is now seven, is the only other super fan in the house. Loves Star Wars. And I can't just be like every other dad and say, you know, when he asks about Jedis and, you know, or Jedi, however you're plural or whatever it is, right? Like, I can't just give him the simple answer of they're the good guys because I'm too invested in the story. And I'm like, and it's forced me to figure out how to have this conversation with a then four five six seven year old now um because i don't think they are i think about the idea of the midichlorians which again i think is people raging out on things but not actually listening to what was in the story itself Mm -hmm. the only people who give midichlorians any credence are the jedi we never hear anybody else talk about midichlorians until 
Mandalorian and we hear about the M count who are also manipulating things and trying to control a situation. Yeah. Just because they're midichlorians that are talking to you inside your blood does not make them. Okay. Somebody might have more than the other person. The only person that said that matters are the Jedi. And at this point in time, they are desperate to hold on to any sort of power. And this is them also gatekeeping from all these other people. Their numbers are shrinking. They are dying. They are doing whatever. We now know there are other Force users out there. At the time, we didn't know there was anyone but Jedi who were the, who could use the Force. Yeah. But now we know they are. And it became an order just like the government did. And an order can become corrupted. To me, that's what like the the thesis of Star Wars has always been. And it goes back to, to circle it back to the beginning of the conversation. George Lucas is punk rock. And George Lucas believes in himself. It comes to Ray. Ray didn't believe in herself. And when did she win? When she didn't fall order to what the Jedi told her to be. When she didn't fall victim to every single word that was in those texts. Yeah. When she didn't fall to the failures of where she came from and didn't give in to her anger. Didn't believe that the First Order was right. Didn't believe in those things. She believed in herself. And that's what finally won. And that, to go back to the Haldo maneuver, and people, why can't there be droids? Did you not see what happened in the prequels when we counted on droids and clones who we treated as not human beings? Everyone failed. Yeah. Haldo, the point of the resistance was it was not going to be soldiers. It was not going to be droids. It was not going to be an army. It was not going to be a government that won this war, it was going to be people. And then as Poe says, people will listen if we let them or whatever yeah. the exact line is. That's it when is, you get general pride. Like, what do you mean ships? They have no Navy. It's like, exactly. It's Navy. It it's is people. people. And it is the people believing in oneself that can then turn into believing in the collective whole. Look at Leia. Look at Leia's arc. I talk about this. So sorry to our listeners. I say, say this all the time, but one of my, one of my top three moments of any Star Wars did not mean anything until I got older and I watched Leia and we all love, love who Leia is, right? But it is hard to now look at Leia one movie at a time and one character growth because it's too wrapped up in who we are. Yeah. Leia was failing because she believed not in herself. She believed in the whole. She did not believe in the person standing next to her. She believed in the room. And that was a failure. It was altruistic, and she's wonderful, and, and Leia has no faults. But it wasn't until she met Luke, and probably more importantly met Han, of believing in a person. And we get to Return of the Jedi, which is the most important thing, and people might say it's the stick with Han Solo, with your boy Han. Yeah. I don't believe it was the stick. It was the moment she reached into her little pouch and pulled out a cracker and a single act of kindness to one other person because she saw one person there. She didn't see a tribe of Ewoks. She didn't see down the road of what that might lead to. One-to-one -one human interaction. The only and first time we saw a single act of kindness from Leia. From one person to one person won the war. That moment. It was not until that. She always had a second agenda. She always had a step ahead. In that moment, there were no steps ahead for her. Yeah, it, slowed, it had, all slowed down in the third act of the, of the trilogy. And, and, yep, and yeah, it was I that mean, single act of kindness. And I think, to me, that's what Star Wars is. That what pulled, that's what continues to pull me through as a queer person. It's what I learned from Ahsoka. It is one-to-one -one humans. I cannot fight every single homophobe on the planet 
for me and everyone has their person, right? But for me, I can't fight every homophobe. I can't. I can engage with the one person in front of me. This is why I do not block on Twitter. I don't do those things because you can come at me and say all you want. I will still talk because maybe I'll find an avenue to reach your human side. Yeah. Maybe I can reach there. There's still a human behind the fan, the fandom menace. There's someone in there, probably an a-hole, but there might be an acorn of something there. And maybe, maybe I can figure it out. Yeah. And that is my hope. And that's what the Jedi, you know, to your point, like that's what they, what they lost, you know, during the prequel era was the ability like in that, that Trace and Rafa arc, like what we see and like, uh, like we saw with, with Mace Windu, you know, that line where he says, if what you've told me is true, you will have gained my trust. And it's like, been a Jedi for 13 years. I didn't have your trust yet. Like you're saying that to me now. Like just I put my life on the line for you. Yeah. Like I, I was a boy, I was a slave and, and, and I, and I, all I wanted was your approval and your, and to be welcomed with any modicum of, I mean, only yeah. Kiati Mundi says your thoughts dwell on your mother, but he's not saying it cause he cares. He's saying it because he's trying to tell the other men in the room, you know, his thoughts dwell on his mother. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's all of these ulterior motives. And, and that's why Palpatine succeeds for yep. as long as he does, you know, because yep. Palpatine, you know, which George understood, you know, George analyzes these figures, your, you know, your, your, your Bush senior, your W, your yep. Richard Cheney, all of these people, uh, Hitler, Mussolini, everybody yep. that George packed into his stories, all of that, that evil ethos is because it's all about manipulations of truth. So when you were just explaining your point, which I vehemently agree with, you said, you know, the Jedi didn't want to let go of their power. It's exactly what he says in the opera scene. And he said, again, and he can say it with a half smile because he knows how to play him like a fiddle. He's known the boy since he was nine, but he's saying like, and he says it almost like letting, letting Anakin believe that he's coming up with it organically. Like the, and what were they afraid of? Losing their power. Yes. Like, uh, of course, like he's right. Makes it even scarier. That's what, you know, is, is scary. Like, there is, it's not an equivalent. You know, people say like the Jedi were the real villains of Star Wars. <sighs> horribly, oh, ho- horribly uh, disagree, vehemently disagree. Yeah. Um, they're not the villains of Star Wars. It's not an equivalency between them and Palpatine, but it mm-hmm. is that it is it is an acknowledgement of what Luke says to Rey in Last Jedi. Like it was a Jedi Master that was responsible for the training and creation of Darth Vader, and they their hubris allowed Darth Sidious to rise and yep. take them all. The true villain of Star Wars, in my opinion, this is a great way to start to close this out. So I'm curious. And and it's similar to what you were just saying. To me, the true villain of Star Wars is the failure in believing in yourself and needing to turn to another power in order to get that validation from anyone, including the Jedi. And I believe that's what he is trying to say. The Force is within all of us. We are the Force. We can make a wave on our own. He is not saying gov- all government is terrible. He is not saying religion is terrible, but he is reminding you to keep all those things in check because all good things can become corrupted. That's true. If you don't keep things in balance. All things, the kindest of all human beings can become evil if pushed too far. You know, you, you, you take you take a child away from a parent in front of them, well, maybe not all parents, but you take a child in front of, away from a parent and 
do you think that kind that parent in that moment is going to be kind? They'll probably go too far too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, you can justify anything, but it doesn't make it. And there are no Star Wars stories really about parents that were like, no, thanks. Please leave. Um, we'd like mm-hmm. to keep our toddler, you know, which is something that I, I would definitely love to see explored down the road. Um, oh. You know, like, like how do, how do, like, we have the Guardians of the Wills, like Cheer and Bays. How do we get Guardians of the Wills exactly? I would love it if we yeah. saw, you know, Cheer it, you know, this, this blind little baby, and maybe his parents were like, no, like, yep. you can't. Uh, something like that but but yeah what you're saying is absolutely true and i would i would add you know it's often said in the fandom and i agree that leia takes after her father and luke takes after his mother uh padme said like this is this is a failure to listen and and this is a failure to acknowledge you know she's she's speaking to not just the government problems but it's it's across she's speaking to star wars Mm -hmm. and failure to listen to each other to the force to all this stuff um but hubris in doubt you know that idea that i that i know better you know star wars is about being humbled and it's about it's about saying that i was wrong like people i think have a very um clickbait driven <laughs> narrow view of like certain moments they view them very cynically like <laughs> luke only lifts the x-wing and rides a skywalker because it's a reference to empire and they wanted to make 40 year old guys happy uh, I push back on that heavily. Do you know why Luke lifts it in Rise of Skywalker? Because he just said he was wrong two minutes prior. The fact that he can say it was fear that kept me on this island and put those words out of his mouth, even a ghost mouth, the fact that he can say those is what lets him lift that thing. Because it wasn't until he was in his 60s slash dead uh, was he able mm-hmm. to admit that. You know, Last Jedi, Luke does the Force projection and he has the blue saber in the projection. Yes, like as Ryan Johnson has said, to provoke Ben because that's the family yep. blade. But also because that's the one he lost when he got his hand cut off out of arrogance and hubris. Because that's the one he threw over his shoulder. And he catches it as a ghost and then is finally able to do the one thing he couldn't do from his training. Because finally, in death, did he say, I was scared. Something that he yep. A hundred percent, hundred percent. So I don't, I believe we're about to see our first parent. I love what you said. We haven't seen a parent say, no, don't take my child away. Uh, both good and bad. Cause I am heartbroken for Shmi. That was one selfless act of that for sure. Yeah. We get some of that in the books, I guess for sure. Uh, and some in Clone Wars, but I believe we're about to see a parent come back and challenge the Jedi away to get their son back. I, I'm hoping so. I'm, I, uh, yeah. Anyways, like I said, that, that is an entire episode all, <laughs> all in itself. But, predictions theme conversation. Yeah. Where do you think, where do you want the force to go from here? As our final question, we have the high Republic going right now. So the future of star Wars at this moment is in its past. Mm-hmm. And what will this past bring to the future of Star Wars and the idea of the Force. One thing that I already love from the higher public, probably my favorite aspect, is that what these five authors have done is is this um, 
this enabling of the different perspectives on the page and how sort of you know, Avar Chris perceives the force as music and mm. Elzar and perceives it as an ocean. Briaga perceives it as a tree, bell, fire, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Et cetera. The fact that, you know, it's not a coincidence that they used to wear ornate robes and see it all in different ways. And then by the prequels, it's beige and no one's talking about that, you know? <laughs> prequel ju- and and yes you can have your cynical argument of well it's because i wasn't made yet yeah 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 we know uh but it's this i this idea of we're all wearing beige now and nobody talks about their unique view and we all have class and we all spend time in the archive and you know you have to do x training things and we know about midichlorians now but instead of talking about midichlorians like a living thing we're talking about it like a point system um they mm-hmm. that, so the High Republic has further underlined everything we're saying about the prequels by presenting the way it used to be. And it's even more sad because Yoda was there, because Opo Rancisis was there, because Jariel Poof was there. Um, these masters mm-hmm. during the day, like I'm reading High Republic Adventures by Daniel Jose Older, and Yoda's got – he's got the Skyhopper ship with all these Padawans, and they're off in the galaxy together. And it celebrated all these different perspectives. So what I would love to see – either in future projects, um, but specifically in a post Rise of Skywalker world is if Ray was able to, to bring it back to those ways, not specifically, but if, if Ray's, if we see Ray again and she closes her eyes and she sees the force as scavenging as junk, yes. as something like that. And Finn can see the force in his way. And, you know, if, you're, if your Din Djarin theory is correct, maybe Din Djarin sees the force in another way. Like, I want it to get weirder. That's why I love the world between worlds. That's why I love, uh, the, that's why I love when they unveiled the Ahsoka TV show that nope. the logo looks like the world between worlds. I was like, oh, this show's going to be weird. Like, <laughs> I, I love it. That's what I want. And and so like when you announce like Rogue Squadron, like I'm absolutely excited for that. And and there are people that are all about the ships and I love that for them. And I'm gonna be there day one. But for me, it's like, what does the force look like when Taika Waititi gets a hold of it? I agree with the Taika. I wanna see where it goes. I agree with this the excitement of let's get weird. You know, if there's anything that I think Disney has learned from the Disney that we got in twenty fifteen is I, I I've found myself frustrated in the past that like solo, like I said, it's one of my favorite movies. I think it's an absolutely horrible title. I hate, I really do not like the title and I think it was too much out there. I think, I think Disney star Wars itself is all people need to know. I think if they had just called solo, like crimson Dawn, something, to get the fans and us nerds to start talking about what does this mean? Oh my God, is this where it's going to go? Could it mean this? Could it be that? And the theorizing that happens with the nerds that then leads to a blog post that a casual fan is going to like just pick up because a headline says Star Wars. Like we don't need to introduce a character in another show because it's successful to do. Like I don't believe that it's like all these people like this is not her. Uh, the Jedi was not Ahsoka Tano's like test pilot. Yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't work like that. They didn't decide in two weeks to now let's create this whole new series. Like it was all like it worked. But I, I Disney has clearly learned 
that people loved the prequels. We brought back Clone Wars that they thought people didn't want to have. For whatever reason, they canceled it. They brought it back. They're telling these more these more interesting stories, right? So I'm excited to bring in someone like Taika to really flip us on our head yeah, and give us something weird because Disney is learning that people will buy in to Star Wars. Absolutely. And they I mean, love Star Wars enough to let it be whatever it needs to be. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the faith, you know, like what you're talking about, like faith in not just the brand, but in people to to roll with things that, I mean, isn't that, isn't that the success of Grogu? Like, yes, he's mm-hmm. rooted in nostalgia, and, he, and he's a design that we know. Like, in the most cynical of terms, they took a popular design, they made it smaller, and they made it cuter. Yep. Uh, but it proved that they can they can like George would like Han Solo would that they can go left on a pitch. Mm-hmm. Like, they pitched us this gritty badass hunter show um, with a, with a man with no name, you know, and faceless. Like I went into the Mandalorian expecting a good show. I did not go into the Mandalorian expecting a sensitive, adorable family tale with weird perspectives and long silences. And like it, it, it has, there's a Jim Henson-ness to it. There's a feloniness to it. So I think that they've learned that they can they can take swings and people will be will be down with them. And you know, Cobb Vanth and Ahsoka and Bo Katan all being brought to live action bridges the gap, of course, to animation, which is where weird is happening. And mm-hmm. so I think that, you know, in the Ahsoka show, I wouldn't I would not be surprised if we get to see some sort of world between worlds in live action. I wouldn't be surprised if we get to see something, uh, a fantastical creature or character, be it Bendu, be it a force priestess, be it a mortis mm-hmm. god, anything like that. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm all about just just pushing it as fantasy as possible. Go all the way. Yep. Yeah, I, I even at the end of season one of The Mandalorian, like I would say, even a few months later, I thought it was good. It wasn't until six months later did I think that show was great. Yeah. And then season two came, and it is some of my favorite Star Wars because it is so perfect Star Wars. Like Return of the Jedi is my favorite. Yes, nostalgia plays into that, but more so because it is – I mean, I think to myself, Return of the Jedi, Clone Wars, and Solo is up there with some of my favorite of all of Star Wars. Yeah. Because I think those three things are the most Star Wars of all Star Wars, where on the surface, they are they can be viewed as total popcorn flicks. And there is something really, really, really heavy underneath all of it. And it's the thing that keeps, for me, that keeps Star Wars coming back. Star Wars is never... I just watched The Phantom Menace the other day, and... The reveal of Maul at the end when the doors open. It is a cool shot. I have watched that movie for half of my life and I still get goosebumps. And it's because it was not played for a big reveal. Yeah. It was played for the emotional gut punch of what this is about to mean. Like the fears, the dark side is here. This is what the movie was building to no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. Oh my God, we could be wrong. What if it really is? I feel like I'm being clouded. I feel like something is going on and boom, reality hit. 
he was cloaked before. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe it wasn't the Jedi. Or was like, no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. And then boom, here we are face to face. Nope. It's here. And Star Wars is the best Star Wars is never for that. It is never for uh, uh, a moment, a big reveal. It's just not for that. There's always something heavy underneath it, which is what I love. So I'm glad that uh, you're kind of there too. And I I can't wait for season three of the Mandalorian because it's just getting heavier and heavier as it goes. And to see where Din goes is going to be something. I was I like the man I like Mandalorian, sure. I never loved them until the Mandalorian. And now and then to find out that reveal of like, okay, no, you're not even like a man well, you are a Mandalorian, but now you're like you took it too extreme. Yeah, and now we're this whole other thing. I'm like, oh my God, like you just made it like <laughs> you just yeah. like, Oh God, and it was so it's, good. It's like he's so clearly like we know his heart is with his son, but he he made the hard choice. You know, he made the Shmi choice um, to let him go for the better for the betterment of himself and of the galaxy. Meanwhile, like he's he's standing here, looking straight down the hallway, watching his son leave, and behind him is Bo-Katan Kreese, who's like, "Yeah, we have a planet to take back, a throne to win, and all of this stuff to happen now." Mm-hmm. That so he's going to be wrapped up in in his own epic saga now like now it's truly going to go into epic saga mode with this royalty this planet this everything i'm sure there will be crosses with the book of boba fett and you know maybe ahsoka pops in for an episode or he pops in for an episode of her show uh thrawn this looming threat of thrawn now so it's 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 a lot it's gonna be great it's gonna be great yeah i one final thing i'm just gonna throw this question out to you and everyone listening because we were just talking about this on the live stream a few weeks ago and we i like that you said we he didn't had his shimmy moment his selfless thing to do what he thought was best for his child and by this point they were children i we've talked about that a lot on the show imagine if shimmy said no you cannot have him they would have figured out how to get her off planet. They would have figured it out because they want that, you know, Qui-Gon wanted Anakin. He had the highest metachlorian count. So he was the chosen one. They had labeled him as severe importance. Yeah. So imagine what would have happened if she said no, because I believe we're about to have someone challenge a Jedi and say, no, you're not any better than me. And we're going to see what happens. That's what I'm hoping for. Let's Lord knows. I, I mean, I know I can't. Anyways, that's what I, that's, that's the moment. That's what I'm looking forward to a Jedi being challenged because we haven't really seen it. Yeah. We've seen people walk away, but not challenge it. And how important that would be for, you know, if, if it is going to be Luke, Mm -hmm. how important that is for him on his journey to master, you know, because this is, this isn't a Luke who's built a temple yet. This isn't a Luke with, like I, I do not at all believe. And I know some of it is said in jest, but I don't believe that Grogu is at his temple when it all goes down. Like those are completely different kids. But he ain't gonna be there very long. <laughs> yeah, he's not gonna, he's not gonna be there long, and he's not if he if the temple even you know gets built in this time. But yeah, I think that the Luke the Luke Grogu relationship will be very important, but very short lived. Yep, I agree. I agree. All right. So one final question for you that I've been asking all of my guests here on the podcast for to try to make 2021 better than 2020 was for so many of us. 
there is a saying that we say every night here in the Berry House at our kitchen table when we have dinner, and we call it our Berry Mantra, and it goes like this. We are berries, we support each other, and we have fun, and today I'm grateful for. So here on Pink Milk, our mantra is we are Star Wars fans, we support each other, and we have fun, and today I'm grateful for. So I would like you to repeat the mantra. We are Star Wars fans, we support each other, we have fun, and what you're thankful for today to close this to close this out okay we are star wars fans we support each other we have fun and we are grateful for slash i am grateful for (laughs) um people out there listening to this show my show and all of our shows that uh that love nuance and that love everything in between i am thankful for everybody and grateful for the people that that say well you know why don't you look at it like this or why don't you look at it like this and and somebody that says well i saw myself here um that is you know that takes a certain amount of bravery and vulnerability and Mm -hmm. i'm grateful for everybody that is just so extremely authentic and that has made it um easy for me to be to be myself and yeah i'm I'm grateful for everybody that that asks why that to me has been the biggest thing about doing a show and all that stuff uh i'm grateful specifically for all of those people and there are tons of different fans and there are fans that are curative and that they want to know everything about everything Mm -hmm. and there's a place for that too and people that know the names of every blaster and all this stuff and that's great but specifically that 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 small percentage i think that that sit around and have conversations like this mm-hmm. where it's like all thematic and, and yeah, I guess the easy way to say that would be uh, we are Star Wars fans. We support each other. We have fun. And I am grateful for the people that subscribe to the Star Wars religion. Yes. Oh, what a great way to bring it back. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. No, thank you very, very, very much for coming. I really appreciate it. I'm, very excited that we had the kind of conversation I was hoping for. So yeah, totally. Thank you for being so open. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for, for sharing all that you do because it is not easy. So thank you for that. Where yeah, can people you. find you? Yeah, you can find me uh, personally on Twitter and Instagram, uh, AD Strider, AD underscore Strider on Twitter specifically. And then talking Star Wars on Octo Radio, Star Wars podcast, A-H-C-H-T-O radio. I know all the Star Wars fans out there are fully aware of how to spell it, but just in case. Uh, And and, uh, we also, that's a podcast feed now. We have the second show, the sister show, which is running now, hosted by Tori Fox from the Creature Cartel Shop called The Mandatorian Creed, where she's diving into these seasonal breakdowns of different Star Wars topics. The first season is on Disney Star Wars weekend, so that's happening right now. And then also catch me on the other podcast that I do called the One and Done Film Club, where we take all of your favorite franchises and we discuss them. We select one entry only from that franchise and do a commentary on it and have a movie night with you. And that's it. One done. So one Indiana Jones movie was selected. One Mission Impossible movie was selected. And uh, eventually we will, of course, get to uh, Star Wars. 
I love it. And all that stuff will be linked below, whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening to this on YouTube and listening to this in your podcatcher. It'll all be linked below. So please make sure you go follow follow Alden. He's great. And if you don't follow him on Twitter, which I'm sure you do, uh, do it anyways and maybe hit the thing to read to read your thoughts because they're always some of my favorite tweets. When it's Thanks. a very thought-provoking tweet. I love it. I love it. So, all right, everyone, thank you very much. And Alden, thank you. Hopefully we will do this again one day in the future. Absolutely. All these emotions are out of date. I know it's hard. No peace of mind. But don't shut me out. You know, we're the same kind. A dying race. I'm a human being. Thank you, Alden. Honestly, after that was such a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful conversation, both on and off mic. It was so great. And I've said it a few times, but this last month of doing these, 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 having these conversations with people other than Tom, while Tom's, you know, we're, we're working ourselves out of our loss and, and we're, we're there. Um, but I'm just so grateful to, all of these people that I've been speaking with were human beings. And those are the conversations that I have been fortunate enough to have this past month with these people that I didn't know beforehand. That lyric, that verse came from Robin. Oftentimes I go to Robin because she is everything. And one of the things that that is kind of a mainstay in her music is this idea of robots in humanity. And so much of our conversations today are on Twitter or in a text message or through a computer on a video robots interacting with our every single day life. And it is so hard to remember that humans are on the other side of that sometimes not just to lash out and be mean to someone, but also in our in our moments of conversation and of of checking in on one another. I think sometimes we still forget there's a human being there. And I have to say thank you, Alden, for being so open and so honest and present. You know, I've said this and I say this to a lot of people when they leave. The most important thing to me is someone's time. And I'm so, always so grateful when a guest comes on and gives me their time. Alden and I spent almost four hours together. That is a lot of someone's time. Not only did I get his time, I got his focus, and he got mine. We were human beings having a conversation. And at the heart of Star Wars are human beings, behind the robots, behind the droids, behind the creatures, behind the spaceships, behind Darth Vader's walking Iron Lung is a human being. And Alden and I were just able to have that conversation. And I'm just so incredibly grateful to everyone and to you, Alden, and to everyone who has been gracious enough with their time to sit and have a conversation. To all of our listeners who give us their time and their focus to pay attention to the episode. To those of you who reach back out with kind words or questions or interact or a retweet or the people that come to our live streams and chat with us. And to those of you who don't, who sit and quietly watch or quietly listen, thank you. 
if there is anything that I need to strive for during 2021, and probably a lot of us after 2020, is that we are all human beings and we need to move our bodies and we need to see each other through the technology, through the computer screen, through the Twitter bio. We need to see each other. And after this conversation today, I really think that is going to be a huge focus of my personal goal for the rest of 2021. Um, and to see the human beings in ourselves, too. Sometimes it's easy. It's easy to get lost. I highly recommend going to listen to Human Beings from Robin's Honey. Listen to the entire album. It's flipping amazing and beautiful and everything. But that song, so much we need to remind ourselves that we are human beings and we can feel things and it's okay. Um, Alden and I had just had such a great conversation before, during, and after what you just listened to. So everyone, thank you so much. Um, again, thank you, Alden. I, I just, honestly, I love conversations. I love when you have a meeting with someone and you are moved. You are moved to a different place at the end of a conversation and... I feel moved after this conversation. There is, you know, I am almost 42. He is much younger than I am. And I really admire younger people and the freedom that I feel coming from a lot of people um, of that age. And thank you for having a conversation with me and allowing myself to move. So anyways, um, thank you. Thank you. I just, I'm really moved. I don't know what else to say <laughs> other than I moved. So thank you. I hope all of you really enjoyed this episode. I think there was some really great conversation going on there. I can't wait to actually have a conversation with Alden about that Luke moment, uh, from two people who see that moment very differently, but two people who I think after this, I hope respect one another more than maybe we did before. So I'm really excited for that. If this is your first time listening, thank you. Uh, if you want to stick around, awesome. And if you're listening to this from a Apple product, please head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. They really help get pink milk and more ear holes, which we love. If you want to see us uh, late night on Friday nights, you can join myself, Mark, and Emma as we deep dive into Star Wars over there on YouTube during our late night live streams. They're a lot of fun. The people in the chat are amazing. Talk about human beings. They're just really a really, really wonderful group of people. So you can head on over to our website at servingpinkmilk.com. Serving Apologies, where you can catch all of the things that we do. Follow us on Twitter at servingpinkmilk. So thank you so, so much for listening. And until next time, drink up.